0: So the federalism that we're living with today is really just kind of a big old mix of all the types of federalism that we just walked through. Welcome to the United She
1: Stands podcast, the show that brings kindness and women into politics. I'm Ashley. And I'm
0: Sarah. And we're two Midwestern women from Ohio who have a passion for kindness, lifting others up and making a difference. Our experience in corporate America has taught us both to build and
1: navigate all kinds of relationships and lead groups of people. When it comes to politics, however, there is nothing official about us.
0: We're just two gals who want to be better educated on the U.S. government and learn how we, as women, can make an impact together. Each episode, we will bring our
1: listeners along on our own educational
0: journey. And we'll also share real-life experiences from women involved and impacted by politics. And we'll try to make it as fun as possible. We're so glad
1: you're here for the ride.
0: Hello, 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 and welcome back to the United She Stands podcast. It is our first episode of 2023. it's 2023. Yes, and we are so happy to be back in your insert podcast platform of choice. So today we are going to start off uh, 2023 pretty spicy, talking about all things federalism. I know, sounds like a blast. But as always, we will try to spice it up a bit and throw in our commentary and... Hilarious jokes. So, buckle on up. But first, first beer on United She Stands of the New Year. What are we drinking, Ash? I am drinking a Sam Adams Holiday White Ale, I think is what it's called. Nice, yeah. nice. Still in holiday mode, I see. Yes. Um, I am drinking a Hazy Pale Ale from Jeremy Johnson Brewing Company. Yum. It is quite tasty. Exactly what I need for this episode. So, let's also talk about what we knew before researching this episode. And um, I'll be honest, I, like, barely knew the definition of federalism. Like, I've heard the word before, and, you know, I can draw some conclusions from the word federal being in there, but, like, I was very, very, very not up to speed on this topic. Yeah, I mean, I
1: really just knew the general gist of... Federalism is this idea of like divisions between powers. Like, so for us, like federal and state, but
0: that's about it. Yeah. So we have a lot to learn here today. So let's get into it. Let's do it. So let's start
1: with a plain old definition. In this case, the definition we found first was the federal principle or system of government. Like, okay. (laughs) Great. (laughs) Awesome. So, like, what does that mean? (laughs) Sarah literally wrote next to it, LOL. Like, what? (laughs) So. Right, like For anyone starting out basically at the ground like level, let's look at this in a different way. So a definition we liked better was a combined or compound mode of government that combines a general government with regional governments in a single political system, dividing the powers between the two. So this should be a little more clear, and it's hopefully starting to tie some things together for you. In the case of the U.S., that general bucket is the federal government. So the government that governs over our entire country. And the regional bucket is the state governments. Federalism is a theory we use to interpret the U.S. Constitution here in the states. To sum all this up, federalism is the union between independent states and the federal government.
0: All right, now we're a little more clear. We got it. The the What's the phrase? The window is unfogging. Is that a phrase or did I make that
1: up? I have no idea. I've never heard that
0: before. Cool, 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 cool. It's now
1: a phrase. It's now a phrase. Coin it. The window's unfogging, guys.
0: The window's unfogging. Oh, wait. Okay. I think I was kind of thinking of, I can see clearly now the rain has gone. (laughs) I feel like that's not even close to what you said. I feel like it was like halfway there. (laughs) I swear this is our first beer today. Okay, cool. So how did we get here to what we function in today with federalism? So just like shoe shopping, the U.S. tried different forms of government on for size. So first, we were a unitary state under England. So that's basically where a big central government holds all the power. And then any governments below are there to serve the will of the people in charge. Then we tried a confederate system where states hold most of the power while the central government has very little. So hence the Articles of Confederation being our first constitution after gaining independence from Britain. Then in 1787, so our current constitution we landed on a federal system. Funny though, you won't find the word federalism verbatim in the constitution, but it does explain the concept of federalism throughout. So throughout the history of the United States, there have been
1: five phases of federalism. Let's start at the beginning here. So phase one, dual federalism. From 1788, when the constitution was ratified until 1937, we ran under what was called a dual federalism system. This is because the Constitution isn't too specific when it comes to defining what exact roles the federal versus state governments have. So in the time of the country operating under dual federalism, we basically only let the federal government have jurisdiction over things the Constitution explicitly states the federal government is in charge of. Everything else we left up to the states. So a little fun fact here. This ultimately is the Tenth Amendment. Quotes here. The powers not delegated to the United States by the Constitution, nor prohibited by it to the states are reserved to the states respectively or to the people. So let's take a step back and go over some constitutional terms real quick because we're going to talk about them throughout the episode and we definitely didn't know what these were and we think they can be confusing. The Constitution has seven articles. These articles outline the three branches of government and powers and responsibilities held by the government. These articles have different sections and clauses that really just organize the content of the document. So you'll hear us say like Article 1, Section 8, Clause 2 or whatever. It's really just the way they're organized. Then the amendments are the additions and changes to the Constitution since it was ratified in 1788. So Sarah was typing this out and we were talking about it and we went down this little rabbit hole and we we're like, okay, so like what's an act? Like how do acts work? Like where do they go? Um, You know, what's an act versus an amendment? So as we're like looking through this, we had like almost an epiphany moment here. Where,
0: <laughs> where, where we were like, nothing makes sense. Yeah, and then all of a, <laughs> a sudden
1: it all did. So I guess to put it in like, The most simple way or like to make this an example, an act is something passed by a governing body like Congress. So once it's passed, it becomes law. That law is in place until a governing body changes it, repeals it, or in more severe cases, the judicial branch could find it unconstitutional. So this was like our big epiphany. That's like the big difference here. An act or law is not part of the Constitution and therefore can be found unconstitutional if challenged. Which is... Right. Like, where Crazy. It's, yeah, so like, right once it's part of the Constitution, so that's why it's like such a big deal. And why they talk so much about like, we'll just use Roe v. Wade codifying Roe, because then it would be part of the Constitution. Mm-hmm. Something like the Supreme Court could no longer say, hey, that's unconstitutional. It's literally written in the Constitution.
0: Right. So like, basically, a lot of these laws that we are like, living by abiding by whatever in our day to day life, some of them, you know, aren't in the Constitution, therefore, could be unconstitutional if they weren't ever brought up to, you know, the Supreme Court and deemed that way. It's kind of like I made the comparison, like, innocent until proven guilty. So every law is constitutional until proven unconstitutional. Yeah. Isn't that kind of weird? That is kind of weird. Yeah. But anyway, we're not going to get into acts today,
1: but we just thought as we were talking about articles and amendments... Yeah. It was like, well, what the heck is all these other things?
0: And so. like, we literally just started like piecing this together <laughs> and we have been doing a lot of research in politics the last long time. So <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay.
1: So to bring us back, we are at the first phase of federalism in the United States, which is dual federalism. Also referred to as layer cake federalism, which is just distinct areas of responsibility and governance that barely overlap.
0: Now, this is really a comparison I can get behind. I'm picturing like a perfect vanilla cake with chocolate icing in the middle. And it's just like that clean cut. Mm. Yes. (laughs) Sarah's into it. Dual
1: federalism. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So let's talk about what the federal government could do during this period. They had the money power. So this was granted by Article 1, Section 8, Clause 1 of the Constitution. This is called the Spending Clause and gives the federal government, more specifically Congress, The power to levy taxes to pay for three vague things. Debt, protection, and general welfare. So Article 1, Section 8 also grants Congress the power to borrow money from other countries, regulate commerce,
0: coin money, and regulate its value, punish counterfeiters. Any cashiers in the house and having to put the bill up to the light to see if it was counterfeit or not? Raise your hand. (laughs) (laughs) They also could establish
1: post offices... Roads, they could manage patents, punish pirates—not a joke, real pirates. Yep, declare war, raise armies, and suppress insurrection and repeal invasion. Power, power,
0: man. Article One, Section Eight. So now let's talk about the powers the state had under dual federalism. Really, um, everything else. <laughs> a nice little try catch or else. Oh, Lol, well, your it joke. <laughs> <laughs> At least Ashley appreciates it. I don't know who else will, but... (laughs) Article 4 of the Constitution is known as the State's Article. So this is where the Constitution explicitly states the rules and regulations the states must follow. But it's mostly around how the states interact with each other. And it could be summed up as, you kids better get along now, you hear? This was to ensure peace among the states and to ensure we honored the united peace in the United States of America. For example, the Full Faith and Credit Clause of the fourth article talks about how one state must accept the judgment of another state's courts. So another example, um, the Privileges and Immunity Clause. So this says states aren't allowed to discriminate against people from other states, and they have to respect what happens in another state. Article four also says that if a convicted felon flees a state, the state in which they fled to must return them to their home state. And this was really centered around slavery. The states had the duty of returning any slaves that had escaped back to their owners in their home state, and therefore would remain enslaved. This is known as the Fugitive Slave Clause, but this was eliminated from the Constitution when slavery was abolished. Section 3 of this Article 4 that we keep talking about outlines rules against states coming together to make one super state, unless, of course, approved by Congress. Lastly, in the Guarantee Clause of Article 4, the Constitution guarantees a Republican government to every state, and this means that each state is guaranteed to be run by a representative democracy, basically saying states will never turn into a monarch with kings, queens, etc. It also guarantees federal protection from invasion and domestic violence, and domestic meaning in-country versus international. What led to the crumble of dual federalism, though, in the United States? And this took over a hundred years of clashes and debates and disagreements of state of our states and the federal government. There were many conflicts, Supreme Court hearings, and debates about what powers belonged to who, who was overstepping, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. There was one main event that led to the crumble, and this was when Abraham Lincoln declared war within the country, starting the Civil War in 1861. And by doing so, he created executive war powers. Chief Justice Taney ruled that Lincoln did not have the power to declare war, but Lincoln didn't listen and he proceeded anyway. But we all know how that turned out. Lincoln issued the Emancipation Proclamation two years later. So even though this debate was about powers within the federal government and not between federal and states, it was still a significant event that led to the fall of dual federalism, because of the um, vagueness of how we were kind of running the country. So dual federalism officially began to die off when Teddy Roosevelt was elected in 1901.
1: And this brings us to phase two of federalism in the United States. So this is kind of the in-between phase of dual federalism and what they call cooperative federalism. The country was still technically running as dual federalism, and at the time, industrialization was on the rise. This is when we start to see good old Teddy Roosevelt's idea of intergovernmental cooperation was really when it was born. So we can consider this period of our country as a little bit of dual federalism and a little bit of cooperative federalism. With Teddy Roosevelt as our president, he led with the assumption that any presidential powers not forbidden were basically granted. In the past, our presidents mostly led under the assumption that any presidential power not granted were forbidden. So it was kind of a complete mindset shift. Teddy coined the term bully pulpit, or the good kind of bully, and used his influence to convince
0: Congress to expand the federal
1: power. And we're talking a big expansion here.
0: Yeah, so some of the examples of what he was able to accomplish in office, he broke up powerful colomerates, regulated the railroad system, established national parks, big shout out to Teddy for that, implemented policies to keep food and drugs safe for Americans... Fought for workers to be protected, which led to the creation of the Department of Labor and Commerce and new labor laws. In his autobiography, he wrote, I did not usurp power, but I did greatly broaden the use of executive power. And usurp meaning take illegally or by force. Teddy was bold. He decided to interpret the U.S. Constitution differently than it was in the past. Because remember, federalism is a theory for how we interpret the Constitution. And so Teddy's boldness helped accelerate the fizzling out of dual federalism. And the term for his type of federalism wasn't decided until a couple decades later, but ultimately they settled on cooperative federalism. It continued to fizzle out over the next five presidents, but concrete changes and a new theory of federalism wasn't officially established until Franklin D. Roosevelt took office in 1933.
1: So this leads us to phase three of federalism in the U.S., As Sarah said, that is cooperative federalism. All right, so we're going to assume that people listening to this were probably not alive in 1933. And if you were, shout out and huge thank you for listening. But 1933, when FDR became president. So as a little history lesson reminder here, the country was not in good shape at the time. We were about halfway through the Great Depression. Unemployment, poverty, deflation rates were all high. Things just overall weren't great. This led us to the New Deal. The New Deal refers to basically all the work FDR did during the first few years of his presidency. This includes things like a farm relief bill, a large-scale welfare and public works program, a significant amount of federal funding to state governments, the establishment of the Civilian Conservation Corps, which created 250,000 jobs and helped preserve our national parks, federal regulation of the stock market, he established Social Security and Unemployment Insurance, he created the Securities and Exchange Commission- It also created the federal minimum wage and lastly created the National Labor Relations Board. This new deal and everything that fell within it led to the official
0: adoption of cooperative federalism. So fun fact, FDR was president for 12 years. That's a really long time. And he also died in office. So that's the not so fun part. But uh, not pointing fingers or anything. But the 22nd Amendment, which limits a president to two terms or eight years, was created two years after FDR died.
1: Not pointing fingers. <laughs> no nah, pointing fingers at all. But <laughs> I actually didn't realize it was so late
0: that that yeah, became right. A- that was, was like nine, nine, nine. definitely. That was in the last century. Mm-hmm. Wow. Anyway, cooperative federalism enabled the federal and state governments to share power. So under this theory, the federal government relies on the states to implement policy, and the states are reserved a significant amount of discretion in their implementation. A great quote and a great way to put it from one of our resources called A User's Guide to Democracy, and of course, we'll link it in the show notes. Under cooperative federalism, the federal government comes up with the big, mushy idea, and the state governments mold that mush into practical application. Social reform and programs continue to be created and passed down from the federal levels through the civil rights era and Lyndon Johnson's presidency. Johnson referred to this as creative federalism that lasted through the 50s and 60s. But if we fast
1: forward a bit to 1981, we then have Ronald Reagan as our president. This leads us to the fourth phase of federalism in the United States, and this is called New Federalism. Ronald Reagan wanted a better balance of powers between the federal and state governments. He wrote an executive order about it and called it federalism. I mean, it's pretty
0: straightforward. Straight 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 to the the point, yeah.
1: (laughs) Here's a quote about the purpose of the order. Its purpose was to restore the division of governmental responsibilities between the national government and the states that was intended by the framers of the Constitution and to ensure that the principles of federalism established by the framers guide the executive departments and agencies in the formulation and implementation of policies. He wanted the federal government to remain almighty and powerful, but wanted the states to take more responsibility for social and economic programs. This is referred to as the Devolution Revolution. That sounds like an album title. (laughs) Yeah, that really does. Can we we talk about this for a second, though? Is it so interesting? Because I feel like Reagan is almost, like, revered by Republicans today, especially. But, yeah. like, a lot of people. Like, Reagan is, like, you know, well thought of president. And this idea of, like, returning to what the framers wanted, but with the keeping the federal government powerful. Right. Which is, like, not what the framers did at all. No. But it's so interesting because this is, like, the idea, or, like, you, you'll you hear, you'll hear, like, Republicans say that, right? Like, the federal government should have less power or whatever. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's just to tie those two together is, like, kind of interesting. Yeah. To me. yeah. So he issued this executive order in 1987, but things didn't really start to shift until about 1995. This is when the Supreme Court ruled in United States v. Lopez that Congress has exceeded its power. This was the first case since 1937 that the Supreme Court ruled this way against Congress. Then in 2000, the Supreme Court ruled that Congress exceeded its power again in United States versus Morrison. They stated that parts of the Violence Against Women Act were unconstitutional because they exceeded the power of Congress. Okay, so the Supreme Court is making monumental rulings about Congress exceeding its power. Where does that lead us? What does it mean?
0: Great question. It leads us to phase five of federalism in the United States, and that's today's federalism. So the federalism that we're living with today is really just kind of a big old mix of all the types of federalism that we just walked through. There's no official name yet, but some refer to it, our current day, federalism as judicial federalism. At the core, though, this is the federalism of political division, where the federal government is powerful and passes divisive laws while minority-controlled states sue the federal government. And due to this divide, we look to state and local governments to make more and more tailored legislation. And as I mentioned, a little bit of all the different phases of federalism we, as a country, have been through. The assertion of states' rights and protection of the state's citizens, this was from dual federalism the big and powerful federal government of cooperative and creative federalism, and federal power divestment in state budget and regulatory decisions of new federalism. So going through all these different phases of federalism in the history of our country, we can undoubtedly say that federalism is iterative. So making changes and corrections constantly, giving you a new phase of federalism every so often. So I guess we all just have to stick around and watch as new phases of federalism develop and come to the surface, which is... Kind of fascinating, really. The only thing constant is change, my friends. So that's what we have
1: today. Let's summarize what we learned about federalism. Over the last two centuries, federalism has changed based on what the country needed at the time. Fresh out of the Revolutionary War and gaining our independence, dual federalism won out as the people wanted to ensure states' rights and protection of the state's citizens and wanted to steer clear of a larger federal power as the country expanded west wars broke out and business grew quickly the big and powerful federal government of cooperative and creative federalism was in place then as the country became factionalized over the civil rights movement the vietnam war and the watergate scandal under nixon reagan ushered in a new phase of new federalism which gave significant power back to the states today we live in a federalism that looks like all of our past federalism phases at once This is the era of a big federal government with states that sue that federal government when they do not agree. States are suing the federal government in record numbers today. We see all past phases embodied in today's federalism. The assertion of states' rights and protection of state citizens, a big and powerful federal government, and some blocking of federal power through divestment in state budget and regulatory decisions. All of this is happening while using the courts to keep it all running. Federalism is ever-evolving, folks, so we'll just have to see where the 21st century takes us. We'll just have to see. So as always, all of our sources will
0: be linked in the show notes. Thank you guys for tuning in this week. Thank you so much for joining us for our first episode of 2023. We can't wait for many more to come and we will catch you next time. Thanks for joining us for today's episode. We appreciate you more than you know. If you appreciate us and our show, please hit the follow button and share this episode with anyone you think would enjoy it.
1: You can also give us a follow on Instagram to saying the no on all things United She Stands. The link is in the show notes. We'll see you next time. And remember, we We can make a difference difference in this world. world. Hey, Lincoln, can you tell me what you think about federalism?
0: Go go get on a big blue airplane. You wanted
1: to go get on a big blue airplane?
0: (laughs) Okay. I agree. I think that just solved all our world's problems. So, throughout history oh, dip, dip, dip. <laughs> doop, doop, doop. Uh, you are. Making also, what's noises. happening with my noises? Okay. <laughs> I feel like you're rubbing off me. I know, it's great. Article four of the Constitu whoa, whoa, whoa the Constitution. Oh fuck. We love a rhyme. <laughs> revolution, revolution. Okay. I think I need a burp Do <laughs> <laughs> uh write in the middle of the quote. Whew. Basically, the federalism. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love my name's Ashley. I'm just going to crack my fingers on the mic. Oh no, Sarah's talking. <laughs> Don't touch it.